especially, especially big data. It's early 2015, and a reporter named Bastian Obermeier from a German newspaper called Süddeutsche Zeitung gets an email. Hello, this is John Doe. Interested in data? And, well, you've probably heard about what happened next. We turned out of the banking bombshell causing shockwaves around the world. the world's wealthiest and most powerful people in this big dump of data. This is Especially Big Data, a podcast from Fathom Information Design where we examine the many things data can teach us and the challenges we sometimes face in getting that data in the first place. I'm Charlie Smart. The Panama Papers were probably the biggest leak in journalism history, linking hundreds of politicians, athletes, celebrities, and other elites to dubious offshore businesses. We're talking about 2.6 terabytes of data that amounted to 11.5 million files um, that came from a Panamanian law firm called Mossack Fonseca that had offices all around the world and clients in more than 200 countries. That's Mar Cabra. I'm the head of the data and research unit at the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. When Süddeutsche Zeitung got the data, they reached out to the ICIJ and the two organizations collaborated on the investigation. So it all centered on this law firm, Mossack Fonseca. Since the 1970s, they had been setting up what are called shell corporations for wealthy people around the world. That's basically a company whose only purpose is to handle financial transactions. It doesn't actually make or do anything. Now, that's not illegal per se, but companies like that can be used for things like fraud, tax evasion, and money laundering. You've probably heard this all before. There were hundreds of stories published about this last spring. But there was a ton of work that went into this project in the months leading up to that. And looking at that work helps answer an interesting question. How can you find important information in 11 million documents? Talk about a needle in a haystack. So for now, let's go back to the data. Two point six terabytes. That's a lot of data. If you filled it up with MP3s, you could listen to music nonstop for more than five years and never hear the same song twice. Even by the standards of the ICIJ, who are used to getting huge document leaks, this was something else. So if you look at the 2.6 terabytes of the Panama Papers um, and you look at the previous investigations that we had done at the ICIJ, three years ago we were dealing with 260 gigabytes of information. So so now we're dealing with 10 times more. But if you look at like the cable get on WikiLeaks, it's, it was 1.7 gigabytes. So <laughs> you would need to do the math, but it's many, many, many times more. That's Mark Cabra again. So imagine you're at work and your boss calls you over and says, hey, Here's 11 and a half million documents. I need you to read through them and tell me what's important. What would you do? Where would you even start? Does it even seem possible? You wouldn't be the only one with those questions. When I was first told about this, um, I was not super excited because I was like, oh my God, how are we going to deal with this? Uh, It's such a big challenge. Uh, That was my first reaction. Of course, um, 
after I had time to digest it, <laughs> I was excited. So one strategy might be to put on a pot of coffee and just start reading and reading and reading and reading and reading and reading. But even with a team of people going through the documents together, it would take months, probably even years to get through them all. What else could you do? If the documents were all on a computer, then maybe you could start by searching for a few terms and working from there. That might work if the documents were all nice text files like Word documents or Excel sheets, but there was one problem. We had to deal with PDFs, we had to deal with uh, images, we had to deal with emails, um, databases. It was dozens of formats that needed to be processed. This is often a challenge when you're dealing with large sets of documents anywhere. You might run into similar problems in an archive or a library where you have lots of old books scanned into a computer. They're not very useful as just pictures of the pages because you can't search for text in a picture. That was the same problem the ICIJ had with the Panama Papers. The main challenge here with the Panama Papers was that we had dozens of formats that needed to be processed and that we had more than 3 million images um, that needed to be um, OCR. We needed to extract the text from those images. OCR, that stands for Optical Character Recognition, is when a computer is able to convert a picture of words into actual text. But it's a really slow process. It could have taken months to process the number of documents Cabra and her team had. So they needed to improvise. We um, started creating an army of servers that basically worked in parallel processing the data. So we would have a queue of all the files, and then we had around 30 to 40 servers that were temporary servers that would take in the files from the queue. So basically, we had the power multiplied by 35 or even more. But even with their army of servers processing the documents, it still took a while to get all of the files in order. Cobra said her team held on to the data for about three months, just organizing it and trying to figure out what was even in there before they let any other journalists look at it. See, computers are great for working with numbers, but it's much harder to make computers understand words. So there's a lot of work that has to be put in up front to get documents like these into a state that they're even usable. They ran into other problems, too. A large portion of the data was this database of Mossack Fonseca's clients. Now, that's obviously really important, but... We didn't get it, like, in one file. We didn't get it in, like, a database format. We got it in a deconstructed way. It's kind of like modern cuisine, right? We got it in, basically, many different files, actually around 3 million files that each had information about one of the records. Um, so a lot of the work um, had to go into extracting the information from those files and putting it back together in just one database. So after months of working with this data at the ICIJ, it was finally time to share it. Not to the general public, but to other journalists. See, even once all the data was formatted nicely, it was still way too much work for any one person to go through it all. Even a team like the ICIJ and Süddeutsche Zeitung had too much on their hands. So they called in more than 400 journalists from around the world, from organizations like the BBC, Fusion, The Guardian, and Francis Le Monde. 
It was a huge collaboration, one of the biggest of its kind, but it was still a challenge because most of these journalists weren't data experts. Few knew how to access information stored in a database or how to parse and tease information out of this massive set of documents. They needed some kind of tool. Uh, We had previously been using a software um, that is called Project Blacklight uh, that was meant for libraries. So, for example, Columbia University uses uses it in their library uh, for their book catalogs. So we thought searching for books was similar to searching for documents. So we adapted it to our needs. There's pretty good overlap between libraries who understand metadata and how users are discovering things and data-driven journalism. That's Chris Beer. He's a software developer at Stanford University, where he maintains Project Blacklight. When Blacklight uh, was first developed, it came out of a digital humanities project that was searching a variety of databases. Uh, And my colleague, Bess Sadler, had had the simple question, "What, what, what what does it mean if you put library material into it into a search like this. This brings us to the second challenge in working with documents as data. Once you have them cleaned up and ready to be used, what do you actually do with them? How do you find the information you're looking for without reading every page? Blacklight is essentially a search engine interface. It's the part that a user interacts with where they can type in search queries and get responses back. It sits on top of Apache Solar, which is a big open-source search engine. Think of it like Google, but instead of searching the web, it's searching whatever documents you give it. It doesn't really care how how you got your data into the search index. Um, If you can do that, you can then expose it out through Blacklight. And because Project Blacklight is open-source, users can tweak it however they need. So it gives you a pretty robust um, set of basic assumptions out of the box, and then implementers can choose to add a variety of features and customize it uh, in a way that makes sense for their users and their content. And that's just what the Panama Papers team did. The document search platform would allow you to filter as a user. So you would be able to say, okay, I want to search the word Spain, for example. Uh, But then you could filter through types of documents. So let's say I only want to see the emails or um, you could look at the date. So they took this essentially document leak search engine and they handed it over to reporters around the world. And they started making lots and lots of searches. Basically, you would search in a name and try to see if there was a hit. And then the reporter would have to, um, you know, look at the documents to see if the documents were interesting. So a lot of the discovery was done that way. It wasn't particularly fancy. Many of the names that we found were Names that we randomly searched. In fact, they made it even easier. Reporters could upload a whole spreadsheet of names and get a report back of who may have been involved. And they found lots and lots of names. The president of Argentina, the prime minister of Iceland, soccer player Lionel Messi, Simon Cowell, and hundreds more, all linked back to this one Panamanian law firm. So now they had the data and they had the names, but there was still more work ahead. They needed to find stories, connections within the data between people. Sure, you could just do lots of searches and work out the connections by hand, but there are much better ways. 
For this part, Cabra said being able to visualize the data was crucial. Our brains are, you know, um, you know, are able to read, but not to connect the dots. And that is what Lincurius was good uh, for. They used a software called Lincurius to let them see all the people in their database as a big network. You could follow business connections through the chain, sometimes leading back to someone important, like, say, Russian President Vladimir Putin. Um, we were able to just look at dots in the screen. Uh, the form, you know, the technical name is nodes. But for the reporters that were not tech savvy, they would look at dots in the screen, double click on the dot, and it would expand, you know, the connections around those dots of, of people. Um, so a lot of reporters um, told us that it was crucial for them to find the connections between the people they were investigating. They even found more names connected to their countries than before. So after more than a year of working with these documents, all of the news organizations involved in the investigation published their stories on the same day. The impact was huge. It led to thousands of audits and investigations, half a million dollars in fines for Mossack Fonseca, and forced the resignation of the prime minister of Iceland. But what can we learn from the investigation itself? No doubt it was an incredible feat of journalism, but the tools and techniques used by the Panama Papers team can be applied to fields outside the realm of journalism, too. Librarians, data scientists, archivists, researchers, and people in lots of other fields can find use for many of these techniques. Cabra said an important step when you're confronted with a massive pile of data is to slow down and take a step back. One thing that we learned in previous project, projects is look at the data, um, you know, a lot before you start sharing it with others, right? So first thing uh, that we did was to do like a forensic analysis on what was in the in, in, in the hard drives that 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 we that we got from um, Süddeutsche Zeitung, and it's very important. Uh, it was very important for us to look at what type of files were there, because that would basically dictate the type of technical work that we needed to do. She said one thing she'd like to look into going forward is using machine learning to help guide people when they're searching documents. My dream is, you know, when you go into Amazon and it tells you, hey, you may be interested in buying this book or you may be interested in buying this product and they do that based on on your previous searches your previous purchases um, and they're trying to adapt um, to you and what you've done previously with them well i want our future search engines and document search platforms to do the same hey you found the prime minister of iceland maybe you are interested in the president of argentina See, these are all important things to consider because we produce more data today than ever in history. And most of that data isn't in a simple format like a spreadsheet. Think about this. A report came out a few months ago which estimated that more than 200 billion emails are sent every day. Just a few decades ago, it would have been hard to imagine data on that scale, but today that's just a tiny fraction of what gets passed around on the web. And since data in any form, documents or numbers, isn't going anywhere, we need to find ways to make sense of it. For Chris Beer from Project Blacklight, that means working to make searching for data as easy as it can be. Our goal as software developers in in this ecosystem is to be able to provide them the most relevant 
most relevant thing possible. Oh, and by the way, Beer didn't know the Panama Papers team was using Project Blacklight during the investigation, but he was thrilled when he found out. It was a great surprise when it, it came out. I, I can't remember the, the first time we, we saw it, but it was certainly after the Panama Papers were, were published. Um, someone in the community saw you know, they were using something called Blacklight, and we, we got an email to our list saying, is this Blacklight the same as our Blacklight? Uh, it, it turns out it was, and that, that was tremendously exciting. For Cabra, data has become a regular part of her daily work as a journalist. She actually founded the first ever graduate program for investigative data journalism in her native Spain. I think it's it's becoming more and more important in investigative stories because it allows us to expose issues that are happening in a systemic way, uh, in a way that you cannot expose just with anecdotal evidence. I, I don't foresee many investigations in the future that do not have uh, an important data component. So next time you're at work and your boss hands you a stack of 11 million documents, take a breath before you storm out of the office. It's tough work, but the Panama Papers investigation showed that it's far from impossible. Especially Big Data is a production of Fathom Information Design in Boston, Massachusetts. This episode was produced by me, Charlie Smart, with help from the rest of the crew at Fathom. Thanks to Mark Habra and Chris Beer. To find out more about Fathom, you can visit us online at www.fathom.info. That's fathom.info.